Anyway, my name's Tuere Salah, and Tim Guile and I are the guiding teachers for Seattle Insight. So, you know, I like to read a poem before we sit, and then I read the same poem afterwards. This is uh, actually a, it's not so much a poem, it's a reflection from uh, Ian McCrory. I've been looking at his, uh, reading some of his reflections, and they're so good. Um, and so this is a reflection I'd like you to contemplate while you're sitting. Uh, if the mind's going to get lost in thought, then try not to let it get lost in thought on ordinary householder kind of stuff, bills. You got plenty of time to take care of that. You could consider contemplating this and how it is in relation to your life. Um, so Ian says, it, this is part of his book, The Moon Appears When the Water is Still. So it's, he says, meditation is a constant letting go. Meditation is a constant letting go. Fears of pain, sickness, and death, let them go. Thoughts of harm, rebuke, and guilt, let them go. Images of Christ, the Buddha, and my teacher, let them go. But we cling, we hold on to our unhappiness like an abused puppy who knows only one master. The compass port points to the north, uh, the compass points to the true north, but with it, we carry the two magnets of greed and hatred, which skew the arrow. Misery becomes our only friend, but we fear loneliness more than we want peace. We so want to be free of our defilements and impurities without understanding that we are addicted to the excitement of these miseries. We are like children who wish to be warm and cozy, but won't stop playing in the rain. So we are going to talk about the refuges and precepts. You know this uh, for the month of January, February, and March. And um, we're really just talking about uh, sets of threes over the course of the whole year. And we're going to talk about the refuges for this quarter. Um, but to me, before you can really talk about the refuges of the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, we got to take a step back and think about what is the point of a refuge and what do we, it's almost like the limitation of the things we already take refuge in. Because it seems to me it's, it's kind of a, um, we can talk about taking refuge in the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha. And many of us as practitioners, we already do that. But the thing about exploring Dhamma to me comes from actually exploring the felt sense experience of it. So both the experience of its absence and its experience of its presence. And the more we are willing to experience um, Dhamma itself and what it's doing, what's the point of it, then the easier we move towards practice, the easier we practice instead of uh, some kind of a mandatory thing we make ourselves do, which is why I think a lot of people have problems with religion in general, because there's almost this forced way that we have to believe. We got to believe it like this and that's it. But you don't even know why. And the Buddha was very, very, very clear that that is not the way he taught. He wanted people to believe or to trust something, not because he said it, but because they knew it for themselves, because they practiced with it and came to an understanding from themselves. And so everything we're going to talk about this year is really about 
practicing with these threes, these things that are clumped together in threes to practice with them and understand for yourself whether or not there is such a thing as taking refuge in the Buddha and the Dhamma and Sangha. And whether you even want to, you may not even want to say, I take, I take refuge in the Sangha. I don't know about the Buddha and I don't know about the Dhamma, but somehow you know for yourself what you're taking refuge in. And then you don't question it as a, uh, it's not an edict or a dogma or some kind of religious uh, shove or push requirement. It's more of uh, the way you live your life. It's more of a true refuge of what a refuge is supposed to be. So a refuge, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's just a shelter. It's a protection. And it's a shelter protection from uh, something that you experience as danger, a hazard, some difficulty. So I thought we would talk about this in two ways. First, I want to talk about the limitation of what we already take refuge in all the time. The stuff that we take refuge in uh, that we think is going to provide a lot of shelter and protection doesn't actually provide that. Um, so I want us to think about or talk about, kind of explore all these refuges or things that we take refuge in in ordinary life, like money, our house, uh, if you're like me, TV, food. We take refuge in getting it right, being smart, being a problem solver. I clearly took refuge in being a problem solver. All those years of law created this critical thought in me and I could I could come up with an answer and solve a problem in, in seconds. I didn't even realize that some people have to process things over a duration of time in order to know how to proceed. And Something could happen to me, anything could come up, and I could make a decision in 30 seconds and, and know exactly what I was going to do and move straight forward, didn't even think about it. And I used to take refuge in the fact that I could do that. I still do. You know, there's all these things that we take refuge in, and um, I want to talk about the limitations of those things so that when we talk about taking refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha uh, when I come back in a couple of weeks, that we are talking about what is the true refuge that that has to offer uh, in, a, in the present moment. So the way I thought I would talk about it is by sharing the way the Buddha talked about his own life and help you see that he too had to learn how to take refuge. It doesn't, it doesn't come naturally for us to take refuge in um, like the present moment is really what we're taking refuge in. So there's a sutta where he talks about what his life was like. And he says that uh, he lived in refinement, utmost refinement, total refinement. This is what, this is the way he lived. He had the best of everything. I mean, so, so, you know, I didn't grow up with this kind of refinement. <laughs> I kind of grew up in the projects in High Point in West Seattle. So we didn't have everything like that. But he grew up in a world where even his clothes were the best, not um, uh, getting it off the rack at J.C. Penney's. He had the the best, the best of silks and the best of materials that made his clothes. He had absolute security. He said that he grew up and he had three palaces. His parents, one for the cold seasons, one for the hot seasons, and one for the rainy seasons. Yeah, think through that. I mean, yeah, we pretty much have one house. Lucky for that. And then if we have it, 
<laughs> we have to hope the heat will get us through the cold seasons and you know you have enough air conditioning to get through the hot seasons and don't have a lot of uh, leaks and stuff like that when it rains but he didn't have that he had this what i would consider a totally secure living environment so you would think that would having the best of everything and this extremely secure living experience that there would not be a need for him to take refuge in nothing because he's got it i mean he's already he's got money his family has money even if he doesn't have it his family has money so he's taken care of right wrong he said that he realized that even though he was endowed with such fortune such total refinement the thought occurred to me when an untaught what he calls a run of the mill person i love that run of the mill person sometimes he calls us a worldling but <laughs> a run of the mill person such as myself um is subject to aging not beyond aging sees another who is aged he is they are horrified humiliated and disgusted oblivious to themselves that they too are subject to aging and not beyond aging he said the same thing that even though i was endowed with such fortune the total refinement the thought occurred to him that when an untaught regular person themselves subject to illness sees another who is ill they are horrified humiliated and disgusted oblivious to themselves that they too are subject to this illness and it's the same for death i mean think about it we are scared to death of death if i think about dying i get scared no matter how much practice i have and i've been practicing for 30 years if i still really get a sense of how old i'm getting and that i'm going to die i get scared i get petrified and so the buddha said it's because we are intoxicated with youth health and life we are intoxicated with it and because we are intoxicated with it we get overwhelmed by it and so what we then begin to seek refuge in is how to stay young how to stay healthy and vibrant and how to keep our life going forever even though all three of those things are going against us every single day that's what we spend our time obsessing over getting caught in and i think what he's pointing to is that it's not you and it's not me it's not that you or i are wrong in this it is the nature of this human birth for us to be intoxicated with youth and health and life i cannot tell you the amount of conversations i have had with people over food i mean seriously conversations about food what to eat how much to eat Do you eat sugar? Ah, I can't eat sugar. How many vegetables I have on my plate and whether I'm eating enough vegetables. Whether I drink cow's milk or oat milk, whether I'm vegan or vegetarian. Do I eat meat and why would I eat meat? Do I eat pork? I shouldn't eat pork. I mean the conversations on food is unbelievable. Un believable and we talk about food as if if i eat the right 
things. I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to be good. I'm going to avoid all that illness. My hairdresser got colon cancer. And we didn't know. She just stopped seeing people. And we kept trying to find out what what happened to her. When are you... Are you going to see hair? I mean, wait, you should have warned us if you were going to stop. So we got to talk about this. And finally, after about two, two and a half, maybe three months, she started seeing patients again, clients for hair. So I go and I'm getting my hair done. And I said, what happened? What's going on? She said, I've just been mad walking around the house mad. And I'm like, why are you mad? She's have colon cancer. And I said, well, why would you be mad? Because you have colon cancer. Didn't they catch it? I mean, are you okay? What's going on? She goes, they caught it early, but I shouldn't have colon cancer. I'm vegan. I said, uh, <laughs> she goes, I don't eat like you, Tuary. I eat much better than you do. I should not have colon cancer. She is hot because she has colon cancer and I don't. And I eat McDonald's. I don't care if somebody else is buying. I'm going to eat that. So she gets so mad because I don't eat like she does. And she is obsessed over food. It's not that I'm pointing to eat any way you want. But I'm pointing to the obsession is what's causing all the suffering. And the very nature of our taking refuge in food to protect us from the fear that our health is going to be bad, that obsession is, as Ian would say, children who want to be warm and cozy but won't come out of the, won't stop playing in the rain. That's, we won't come out of the rain. We're obsessing over the very thing that can't prevent us from illness. So some of these, the, the refuges, the things that we are putting, taking refuge in, that we think are going to protect us, they don't. So I want to read you three suttas. And I love these three suttas. I love them, love them, love them. I read them together all the time. It's one of the few times that there are, it's one sutta, but I'm going to read three different translations. So three different scholars translated it. And it's one of the few suttas that you can read three different ways of hearing it. But this is what the Buddha described the world like when he actually stepped out on the path. So even though he lived in all this refinement, he lived in such a beautiful world. What we would think of as he's lucky. He's got money. He's got stuff. He's got it all. We would think of that as he's lucky. But this is the world that he lived in. He said, uh, this is uh, John Ireland's version. Violence breeds misery. Look at people quarreling. I will relate the emotion agitating me. The I here is the Buddha speaking. Having seen people struggling and contending with each other like fish in a small amount of water, fear entered me. The world is everywhere insecure. Every direction is in turmoil. Desiring an abode for myself, I did not find one uninhabited. When I saw contention as the sole outcome, aversion increased in me. But then, let me wait on that moment. Yeah, I'll read it. But then, 
I saw an arrow here, difficult to see, set in the heart, pierced by it. One runs in every direction, but having pulled it out, one does not run, nor does one sink. So this is the Buddha talking about the way the world was. You get a sense and see if this sounds like the way the world is with us. I'll read Tamasaro Bhikkhu. This is what Tan Jeff said. Same sutta. This is his uh, translation. When embraced, the rod of violence breeds danger and fear. Look at people quarreling. I will tell you how I experienced dismay. Seeing people floundering like fish in small puddles, competing with one another. As I saw this, fear came into me. The world was entirely without substance. All the directions were knocked out of line. Wanting a haven for myself, I saw nothing that wasn't laid claim to. Seeing nothing in the end but competition, I felt discontent. And then I saw an arrow here, so very hard to see, embedded in the heart. Overcome by this arrow, you run in all directions. But simply on pulling it out, you don't run. You don't sink. And of course, this is my favorite. This is Andrew Olinsky's interpretation or translation of this. He says, fear is born from arming oneself. Just see how many people fight. I'll tell you about the dreadful fear that caused me to shake all over. Seeing creatures flopping around like fish in water, too shallow, so hostile to one another. Seeing this, I became afraid. This world completely lacks essence. It trembles in all directions. I long to find myself a place unscathed, but I could not see it. Seeing people locked in conflict, I became completely distraught. But then I discerned here a thorn, hard to see, lodged deep in the heart. It's only when pierced by this thorn that one runs in all directions. So if that thorn is taken out, one does not run and settles down. This is what I think the Buddha is pointing to. This is what I think we have to consider before we talk about the refuges of the Buddha, the Dhamma Sangha. We got to consider what is it we're trying to take refuge in? I mean, when I read this, does it not sound like the way we live right now? Isn't that like constant conflict? Aren't we always running around trying to figure out how can I just be safe in my own little space? I don't really want to get into all that drama. What would it take for me to be able to just live with peace and harmony and stay out of all that mess? I don't want to get in the politics mess. I don't want to get in my family's mess. I don't want to get in the mess at work. I just don't want to get in it. I just want to be tucked in my own little space. Doesn't happen. Doesn't matter. You can be vegan and you can still get colon cancer. I'm just letting you know for all the vegans out there, you know, you can still get colon cancer. You could be like my son who has cancer and he always says it's the best thing that ever happened to him. He said, what other time can I lay in the bed and play videos? Nobody's not yelling at me about getting a job. (laughs) That's that's his take on it. (laughs) So it's sort of like, it's not, there is something that we are searching for outside of ourselves that will provide a refuge 
from the experience outside of ourselves. So this world that we have very little control over, the reality of aging, sickness, and death that we have no control over, we live in that and we are so afraid of it that we take refuge in whatever we can that will convince us this is going to be my protection from that. This is what we're looking for. I mean, if I'm a great problem solver and I can get the problem solved right quick, then I won't have any problems, right? I can fix it. Don't worry, I can fix it. When I, um, I grew up in High Point, so I grew up in the projects in a very dysfunctional house. <laughs> so college was my way out of drama, I thought. I just got to go to college and we'll be good. So I went to college and um, I got out of college, got my degree. I thought, oh, now I'll just get a job and everything will be great. Of course, I got my degree in philosophy. <laughs> Nobody really cared about a bachelor's of science and philosophy. I didn't understand that. So finding a job was almost impossible. And so eventually I thought, okay, okay, I'm a problem solver. I'm going to go back, go to law school, get a law degree. Now it's going to be great. So every year, every semester, I tell my two boys, don't worry. All we got to do is get through this semester. Everything's going to be okay. Just get through the semester. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So I just kept living my life, putting off any difficulty because as soon as I get through this semester, it'll be okay. Just got to get through this semester. And when I finally graduated from college, I'm like, graduated from law school. I'm like, oh, it's going to be great. Finally. Finally, I've done it. Then I failed the bar. The job I had was based on me passing the bar. I failed the job and I failed the bar so I didn't have the job. And I remember this thinking, okay, okay, just got to get through the bar. That's really all I have to do is just get through the bar and then it's going to be okay. Took the bar a second time, failed it a second time, thinking, oh my God, I have no idea how I'm going to do this because everything I set up in front of me as the solution was not working out in a way this the moment I failed that bar the second time it was a devastating thing but I went to the bookstore to find a book Figuring, you know, I'm just kind of jacked. I'm just not going to really make it. I'm just going to have a bad life. Clearly, this is not going to be the life I thought I was going to have. And I stumbled on Trumpa Rinpoche's uh, commentary on the Lojan practice. I know you guys know this, but the that reading that book is was what I would consider my coming into relationship with the Dhamma. It's when I started reading that book. And even though I started reading the book at a time when I was, uh, I had pretty much given up on all my refuges of what I thought the world was going to be and what I thought was going to help me, I pretty much gave up on it. And in that moment, I began to turn towards the Dhamma, which is where we're going to turn when I come back in a couple of weeks. But I'm pointing to the understanding that when I stopped trying to find refuge in what I thought was going to provide me security, that's when I actually started finding security. It's not to say that I didn't take the bar a third time. I did. And I eventually passed it and got a job as a prosecutor. 
And in retrospect, it was good I didn't pass the bar before because I probably would have taken that, I would have kept that job that I had and it was not, it turned out pretty ugly. So in, in, in some respects, there is this idea that if I see the limitations of my, uh, the things I'm taking refuge in, then I'm going to just end up, it feels like I'm just going to flounder. What does that mean? I don't have a job. I don't, I don't work. I don't, uh, I don't try to get a nice house. I don't try to make a lot of money. Is what, 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 what are we saying here? And I think what the Buddha is pointing to is not that we don't strive for or set goals or, you know, try to eat healthy, exercise, um, try to take care of ourselves. It's the obsession. It's the idea that these things will prevent any harm coming to me, that these things that we take refuge in is going to fix any problems that I have and take care of me and prevent me from having to deal with any difficulties. That is the problem with refuge in these, um, they are superficial things that we take refuge in. They are limited in what they can offer. So yes, my friend can be a vegan. Uh, She can, uh, eat and enjoy. Maybe she feels good in her body for eating. Um, like people I know who don't eat gluten anymore and they, they will tell you they feel so much better because they gave up gluten or people who give up sugar and they feel so much better. They don't have all the inflammation and pain in the body all the time because they don't eat all that sugar. So does that mean that we should just eat sugar or eat gluten, whether we should or shouldn't? No, it means that we don't obsess over it. We don't take refuge, meaning that this giving up gluten or this giving up sugar or me knowing how to solve problems or having a good job or having a great apartment. These things are things that we use in life to move through life um, with, you know, uh, ease as best we can. But we do not take refuge in them from the reality that we are all going to age, we are all going to get sick, and we are all going to die. That we don't use that as a refuge from dealing with whatever's showing up in the present moment. And that's what I think the taking of refuge is. So in order to sort of see this, we have to be willing to see the limitations in the things that we're taking refuge in. We have to ask ourselves, what am I trying to take refuge in? And the best way to begin to look at this I think, is to take a moment when you're stressed out. Just contemplate moments when you get stressed out. What do you do when you get stressed out? If you're like me, I go watch TV. I play solitaire. That's what I do when I get stressed out. Pull out my phone, start playing solitaire. And I just play it, play it, play it, play it, play it, play it, play it. This kind of trying to get rid of that anxiety that starts happening when I start getting stressed out and overwhelmed, trying to settle the mind down. At first, I used to just play solitary and I used to watch TV and I would just watch it forever. I would just, yeah. I would sit down, come home from work, you know, trials were difficult, court was difficult, whatever, I'm stressed out, I got some other case that's driving me crazy, I would sit down on the sofa, and I probably wouldn't realize what was going on 
until about two o'clock in the morning when I still have my coat on, haven't eaten anything. And I've just been watching, you know, some show over and over and over. I've watched the whole episode of five seasons. Those little marathon things. I'd have them all the time. When I get stressed out, I would just sit there and I would get lost in this. Same way with solitaire. I'd start playing and I would get lost in it. Because to me, in that moment, all I could see was that I was so stressed out. I had to find a way to not be stressed out. Because being stressed out is unacceptable. So I got to be not stressed out. And that's what I would do. Look for something to make me not stressed out. It took a while for me to begin to realize that sitting up all night playing solitaire or watching TV, it ain't helping for the next morning. What do you think I'm going to do? I'm just going to be more stressed out. But at the time I sit down on the sofa to watch TV, I don't think about that. I think this is going to calm me down. This is going to help make everything okay. And it comes from this this mistaken understanding that to be stressed out is bad. So I got to fix the being stressed out. I don't like that. So I got to fix that. And that's what I'm taking refuge. To fix something I mistakenly think is dangerous, harmful, or bad. It takes a while in practice to begin to notice what is building up that stress. And usually that stress is building up because I'm ignoring this and I can't fix that, so I'm ignoring that. Can't deal with this, so I'm going to put that aside. And gradually I'm going through life pushing all these things away, thinking that I'm getting rid of them. And they are just hanging around on the sides, coalescing back together. And eventually they all catch up with me. I start getting stressed out. And then I watch TV thinking that's going to do it. And then I get up the next day and now it's two o'clock in the morning. I got to try to eat something. So, you know, it's going to be junk. It's probably going to be ice cream. <laughs> that's in the refrigerator. It's cream. It's stuff you can eat, you know, milk. <laughs> so I'm going to eat some ice cream. I'm going to go to bed because I don't have a lot of time and I got to get right back up and be at work at 7.30 in the morning. And there's just this cycle that we go in in this effort to really try to make life better. That's what I'm trying to do. But it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. What we are going to talk about next week, or when I come back, is this part about seeing this thorn in the heart that's hard to see. It was hard for me to begin to see this difficulty with was with my um, difficulty with discomfort, with the difficulty of the discomfort itself, with the difficulty of, you know, like the overwhelm of just living the life I was living. It's just a hard job to be a trial attorney. It's just, there's no if and buts about it. The hours are long and you carry a lot of stress and a lot of uh, worry over winning cases and, you know, doing the right thing. Especially if you're like me, I don't want to lose nothing. So I don't never want to lose. So I'm carrying this extra weight of I got to win. So there's just a, a, a whole myriad of things that I don't want to accept or see that is adding to that stress. And no amount of TV 
is going to help me get over that. What's going to help me get over that is the clear seed of what I'm actually doing. And the clear seeing of what's actually happening, that requires me to stay a little in the difficulty. TV does not help me stay in the difficulty. TV is the refuge that takes me out of the difficulty. Solitaire, eating food, whatever we do, drink, you know, argue with our family. We take refuge in winning some argument. We take refuge in, you know, being right. So we spend the whole time obsessing over the wrongness of what somebody did at work. And we just commiserate that with all our friends, complain and bitch and moan and groan about it. I mean, these are all things we take refuge in to protect us from the discomfort of whatever we're dealing with. And that is a misunderstanding of what a refuge can do because the kinds of refuge that are limiting are the refuges that take us out of the present moment and send us off into some fantasy belief. Next time we get together, we are going to talk about what a refuge would look like if it helped us stay in the present moment and deal with what we have to deal with, whatever it is, however difficult it is. That's what I think the Buddha is pointing to about taking this arrow out of the heart. So I thought tonight we could begin to talk about the limitations of some of these refuges that we take, these things that we take refuge in and how limited it is. I have a quote to leave you with. This is from Ajahn Chah. He said, the Buddha wanted us to contact the Dhamma. Contact the Dhamma itself. Whatever that Dhamma is, refuges, whatever. But the Buddha wanted us to contact the Dhamma. But people only contact the words, the books, and the scriptures, or the suttas. That is contacting that which is about Dhamma and not contacting the real Dhamma as taught by our great teacher. How can people say that they are practicing well and properly if they only do that? Contact that which is about the Dhamma. He said they are a long ways off. That's what I had to learn. This taking refuge in superficial things that take us out of the present moment, that uh, convince us that we can somehow hold on to our youth, hold on to our health and our life, that we can somehow um, kind of like uh, skip over aging uh, illness and uh, old age illness and death, that it is a delusion. And it is taking us a long ways from the true Dhamma. It's taking us a long ways from true refuge. So let's sit a moment here. Let this uh, kind of settle a bit. Maybe think about, consider, what do you take refuge in? If you get stressed out, if you get worried or scared or angry, where do you go? What do you do?
Do you investigate the anger or the stress? Or do you seek something that'll get you away from that stress, that anger, that fear? Whatever that thing is that you're seeking to get away from the anger, the fear, the stress, to fix it, that's what you're taking refuge in. So let's see if anybody has any comments. Maybe you could just share something that you take refuge in that's limiting. It's okay that you do. I mean, I hope I used enough of myself that you're not going to feel worried about it. You mean, because, <laughs> yeah, we kind of all do it. So, but it would be nice to hear the kinds of things people are beginning to see that they take refuge in and the limitation of that to kind of encourage us all to begin to see the limitations with it. And then we can talk about um, the benefit that uh, taking refuge in the three jewels can provide. Yeah. Uh, my hyper-independence. <laughs> uh, very good. Hyper-independence. Yeah, it's okay. I can... I don't need anything. That I can is do it myself. Beautiful. That's right. Yeah. And just think of all the times when we can just, even if somebody's offering to help us, we will not accept it. We will not. And we will just stay our own independence. And yet, in truth, we all need each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. That's very nice. Thank you. Um, I have two. <laughs> One is when I get stressed out because the to-do list feels really overwhelming, I just get really efficient and work faster. Yep. That's right. And I just feel it taking away the sensing, like the richness of when I can slow down and just be sensing. That's right. It takes you out of the moment because you just get on the, you know, you get on the mental thing, like a, like a little a gerbil in a little running thing and we're just running, 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 getting it done, getting it done, getting it done. Don't have any idea how it affects the people around us. We're just getting it done. I do know that. <laughs> and I have a variation on TV, okay. which is novels. Ah. And I'll lose sleep in novels. And I have this, to be honest, since you talked about TV, I'll say this, like a little bit of sense, like I'm doing a wholesome thing. That's right. That's my friend, a little vegan. I'm a vegan. I don't eat like you to worry. You eat anything. I'm not going to eat that. So it's like, yeah. And I do think reading books is great and fine. So it's watching TV, but like I'll lose sleep. Yes. That's what it is. That's exactly what you say. That's exactly the way you say it. There's nothing wrong with reading the novels, but it's noticing if you're using the novels to take you out of the present moment take you away from something else. And we do go away with it. But there's there's a way in which I learned that I could use like solitaire to actually calm down and then let it go. I actually put a timer on it so that I could not get lost in it and still play and calm down and um, kind of like divert the mind and then... Uh, be with whatever's arising. So you can learn how to use these tools to kind of help us with the, the modulating our energies or to just relax and have a novel that we read and we just enjoy reading the book, but it's not taking us away from reality. There's a kindness in what you're saying. Yes, there is. Very kind Mm -hmm. to yourself. That's right. Yeah, Beth. We ain't got nobody online. You guys must all be the good folks. Oh, come on over, Beth. We don't have nobody raising their hand online. Finally, somebody's going to admit that they got some some uh, refuges. Got another hour. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, as you're talking, I'm thinking I've been sucked in by something and that is I've uh, just today I realized how many things I've downloaded from the internet to get stronger 
because I'm getting older and I'm feeling weaker. And so I'm like doing arm exercises and like, that's not good enough to do it one position. Somebody else figured out something, another position. And my mind got, is getting tricked into thinking somehow this is not, I'm not saying I don't want to get stronger, but that there, that's right. that's one angle is going to be the right angle. Right. And it made me th- remember uh, someone who was a theologian I follow who said the self-help industry that we're all sucked in by without knowing it is trickle down from the prosperity gospel that oh. is deep in the Christian ethics of this country. Mm-hmm. That somehow if you do the right thing, believe in the right God, get, you know, get the pearly gates type of thing. And that we're, so I'm been, I get sucked into the prosperity gospel by trying to get my arms strong. That's right. The whole, and, so, you're, and all of the, that's sub, subliminal people in advertising, you know, that this is what they do, but I just, and I try not to do it, but there I go. I yes. got sucked in without even knowing it. That's right. But you, you don't judge it. There's no Beth in there. This whole world is set up this way. The Buddha is the Buddha and he got yeah. sucked up in it. Yeah. It's not you. It's just beginning to practice this question. Is this thing that I am doing taking me out of the reality of the moment? Exactly. And the reality of the moment is you got to see how much of your efforts is spent in acquiring the information to make you stronger, which the mind is convincing you it means you're doing something and how much of your time is spent actually exercising. Luckily, if, if I'm lucky, just during Jeopardy. And then we'll talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's the obsessing over it that we're worried about. That's what we're paying attention to the obsession Okay, I got all sorts of things I do, right? Like I use my phone and I read books and yada, yada, yada. But I think the, the interesting thing I've no, noticed lately that I'm doing is I sit with a bunch of online sanghas, right? I sit with Sims and um, sometimes I sit with the LGBTQ sangha and um, I often sit with uh, Rachel's sangha. Um, and if I'm having a rough day, I'll get up, I'll be like, oh, I should sit. And I'm like, oh, I can't deal with myself for half an hour right now. So I'm going to sit with, with Brian or Rachel and let them guide me. I'm going to listen to the guidance, and then I don't have to deal with this. So I just yeah. thought it was interesting noticing That's that. That's right. You're right. And that, so what you're pointing to is you got to get that there's nothing wrong with anything we're saying. These are all things that we do. We just have to learn to see the limitation in that actually protecting us from the difficulty we're having. It's it's almost like you can use that and it is a means, but it will not protect you from whatever it is that you're running from. Whatever it is you're running from, it's like a dog chasing its tail. That tail ain't going nowhere. You can chase and chase and chase, but it's not, you're not really going to catch it. I'm sorry. And so there's a way in which we are running, 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 thinking these refuges are going to protect us, and they do not. Uh, Deborah. Yeah, for me, it's getting being getting busy, filling. Getting in busy. Sure, my calendar is full. That yeah, it's, it's like my, what I tell myself: I need to be useful. But the thing, I'm just like joining in on other people's projects, which I don't have to think about. So I sign up for stuff. I do shifts at the garden. I do shifts at the movie theater. (laughs) I come into Sims when I can and be the greeter. I I love doing these things, but sometimes there's a feeling that I'm doing them to get away from myself. Yeah, that's it. This is what we want to begin to feel into and see. Because as we feel into these things and we talk about these things out loud, we can begin to find 
what it is that the triple jewel, what makes the triple jewel as a refuge different than these refuges that we're using right now? So one more online here I can see. Um, who is it? Hope? How you doing? Hi, I'm really good. Um, so this is a refuge that kind of brought me here tonight. Um, it's the refuge of like self pity and, and self hatred. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've lately been finding myself escaping from uncomfortable feelings by essentially like sinking into self pity and sinking into that self-hatred to the point where like I don't have to deal with reality because I'm just giving up yep that's what it is that's the felt sense of that and somehow we think that the giving up is going to be better than um, uh, it's almost as if we take away our belief that we can be more than this. Mm-hmm. And instead, it's that giving up that we get trapped in. Exactly. Yeah. The thing about it, though, is all of these refuges that we're talking about, in the moment, they work. That's why we keep using them over and over and over. I mean, the TV works. The food works. The self-pity, it works. It feels like I am somehow, um, I have found the right way to fix it. And it does work in the present moment to take us out of whatever difficulty we have. What the mind, what the ordinary mind doesn't do And it's why these refuges that these things that we take refuge in that are superficial, why they don't help us is the ordinary mind does not string things together. It, it makes it seem like because it worked today in this moment, I get lost in it. I don't have to worry about my difficulties. I don't have to worry about that day. I can let go of that day at work because I can watch TV and I can watch episode after episode after episode. And I can get interested in those episodes, even though most of those cop shows, I've seen them about a zillion times. I can tell you what's going to happen, but I can pay attention to that instead of whatever is upsetting me from work. I don't have to pay attention to that. I can let go of it. When there is a, there is a a thing where I think our sense of uh, empowerment or agency in believing that we could actually get through some difficult moment is only about this big. But the fear about how bad this moment is, is like this big. It's so big that we think this little tiny me can't really take care of it. And so we are kind of like letting the mind convince us that we get bigger. We get more. If we step into these refuges, we have more power if we step into these refuges. When in truth, it's a very short window of support. And it is um, keeping us trapped in this forever running around, like the Buddha was saying, we're forever running around trying to find some means of contentment, some means of um, support. You, you uh, hope brought, brought up this idea. I realized the Buddha gave, I think it's him that gave the story, but I don't know because I've heard so many monks share it. 
And I can never tell whether it came from the monks or it came from the Buddha. But there's a story that says there's this dog that uh, comes out into the uh, comes out of the forest into this open field. And uh, he runs over to this tree and he starts rubbing up against this tree and rubbing up against this tree. And uh, then he then he stops and he runs over and he lays down in the the grass and he lays there for a while and and then he stops doing that and he runs over into this uh wooded area and he's um all in the bush and he's up against the bush and he stops that and he runs back to the tree and he stops that and he runs back and lay down and I heard this story from Ajahn Chah and Chah was saying you know if you notice that dog um he has the mange, like this, uh, like a, like I guess it's like a, a little biting, it's like a, like a, like a uh, irritation. And I, and and having mange, the dog doesn't realize that it has mange, so instead it runs over to the tree and tries to get the tree to solve whatever that agitation is in their skin, and or it's probably a parasite. But the tree doesn't work. So it runs over and he goes to the lying down thinking that's going to work, but that doesn't work. And then it runs over into the bushes and tries to get stuck in the bushes and that doesn't work. And it just keeps running from place to place trying to solve this discomfort within it. When if it cured, if it got the mange cured, it would not, um, it would not need to run all over the place. So in some respects, we are running all over the place trying to deal with this insidious discomfort and unpleasantness about life. It's everywhere. It's all the time. So we are, we keep running, running around trying to not feel this unpleasantness and to feel pleasant that which is pleasing, that which will make us happy. That's all we want. That's what we think is is the best way to be. And we don't see the joy in unpleasantness. We don't see the liberative quality in discomfort. We don't see. It's hard to see that we have mange. And to know that, it's hard to see that in some moment of stressed out, It's in that moment that you can become empowered on how to be with being stressed out without adding to it. It's in the moment of being angry that you learn how to get free from anger. It's not in the moments that we have passed that anger and then we figure out what I'm going to do the next time I get angry. Because the next time you get angry, you're probably going to do the same thing you did before. And we just keep doing it because we don't string the dots together. So I think I want us to stay with the limitations of this, of these refuges and, and, and think on them for a while to begin to see these habits that we use, these habits that we go through over and over and over as if it's actually going to help us. Try very hard not to take this personal because it's not personal. Everyone in this room, whether you said it or not, I already know you got a ton of refuges that you're taking. You don't have to tell me. I already know. (laughs) It doesn't matter what they are. I know. That just like the Buddha, we are running around trying to find a place that we can be unscathed. We are running around trying to find a way to enjoy life, be happy, make it all work, have it smooth out some. And hopefully next week we can begin to see how to take that thorn out so we can actually settle down in the present moment. Well, 
that seems like that's about it, doesn't it? That's a good place to stop. I really appreciate your practice, you know. I'm not a, I, I kind of get a little pushy on this Dhamma stuff, you know. I can get a little up close and personal, but I think that's where liberation lies. I think it lies in our willingness to take on these tough subjects and really begin to question what we're doing. And if it's possible, as the Buddha would say, that there might be another way to do the same thing. Hmm? So that's where I think I'll leave you. Thank you so much for your practice. Appreciate you so much. And uh, we will talk about the upside in two weeks. But got to spend some time on the downside for a while. (laughs) All right. Well, I appreciate you. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Stay with the limitations and see how they show up. So you really can begin to see the gift of uh, the triple jewel. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.